0: We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality healthcare for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. When Lauren and I connected today, I'm happy to report that she actually had an extra guest with her. Sam was there waiting and uh, offered his experiences and words and uh, stories just like Lauren typically does, but we had them together as a guest. And so you'll get to hear them bounce stories off of each other and kind of compare stories that maybe Lauren's told in the past. And and that's kind of how we open up today's podcast is with him sharing a story that she had already shared in our previous podcast. But I think you'll enjoy his perspectives today. Sam, she tells a story in there about y'all being on the airplane. Do you want to tell your
1: side of the story? I think you should talk from the very beginning, because I was, my mindset was totally different than yours, trying to get on the plane.
2: Well, yeah, it probably was, because I didn't think we were ready to get on the plane. Lauren was very adamant that we're doing this trip. I mean, I, I didn't, I haven't heard her version of the story yet, but essentially, the, the plane got delayed I think it was like two or three hours and the plane was supposed to be like at eight or nine o'clock at night so the airport shut down and there's nowhere to go or no restaurants or drinks or anything and so evan i mean is just sitting in his wheelchair for three hours like not doing terrible but not doing great and every hour we get an update that the plane's been delayed the plane's been delayed so we just keep waiting keep waiting And finally, like, they're letting us board. It's, like, after midnight. So we try to board. And Evan, as soon as everyone gets our bags and stuff, we start walking towards the gate. And he starts doing really bad. Hannah, our nurse, and I are, like, super nervous. like, trying to say, oh, I don't know if we're going to be able to make this plane. Like, we should probably wait. And we're already low on oxygen. And Lauren was like, no, no, we're going. We're doing it. (laughs) And so we get halfway down. ramp to get on. Evan has another kind of like seizure episode. So I turned to Hannah and I was like, I don't think we're (laughs) doing we're doing this. And she finally agreed. And so Lauren agreed, turned around once we'd already been ticketed and everything and moved our flight. I think to two days later, tried it again. And that flight was better. It went on time. I
1: think it's better when
2: it wasn't any better. (laughs) Getting on the plane was better. I think that we were supposed to leave on a Sunday we ended up leaving Tuesday. We realized we didn't have enough oxygen to we had to plug evan's portable concentrator in while we we're sitting at the airport i remember thinking like this battery is not going to last like a three-hour flight like they said it was supposed to in order to do a concentrator on the plane you're supposed to have one and a half times your flight time so for a three-hour flight we are supposed to have four and a half hours of battery power and i think i had four and a half hours but because evan's oxygen had been bumped up from whatever it was at the time, a one to two or two to three liters, it was going twice as fast as it was supposed to go. And so had we actually gotten on the plane on Sunday, he would have ran out of oxygen like halfway to California, which he's done before also on a different flight. But so we had new oxygen. We left on Tuesday. The flight started off uneventful. Obviously from her side of the story, he started having oxygen problems, and Hannah was, like, turning around, like, trying to find me, who, like, four or five rows behind him, and he, uh, you know, just didn't do well. Well, they
1: switched, so Hannah and Sam switched spots, so Sam could hold Evan, because Sam has, like, this magical touch with Evan, where, like, his whole airway opens up, so I'm, like, just switch with him, let's see if his airway will open up,
2: So he kept going down, and so we were trying to do all these certain things, and this, the stewardess, I'm sure, sounds like sure. I told you about the ambu bag. Was she was like, "Is there anything I can do?" And I was like, "I mean, <laughs> do you have an ambu he's, bag?" <laughs> he's turning blue, and like, he's not going well. And so, so, yeah, I think Hannah asked, "You have an ambu bag?" And she like looked at us like, "Ambu bag? What's an ambu bag?" Like
1: she panicked.
2: Like this isn't going to go well. But somehow he recovered, and he did fine. He fell asleep then Lauren fell asleep no, I haven't. and then his pole socks died so we were so worried about his oxygen batteries his pulse socks battery didn't hold charge and so I'm just holding Evan just staring at his lips for two hours to make sure they stay red and Lauren's just sound asleep next to me and I'm just staring at him the whole time <laughs> didn't look away from his face for two hours but we finally made it to San Diego and had a great week in San Diego. Yeah. And then he did wonderful on the way back. It was perfect. So you do remember it
0: as a positive um, experience once you got there? Yes. <laughs> he had some issues, but I'm, nothing.
2: I'm glad that we did the trip. It was fun once we were there. He loved the beach, and so I'm glad we did it. And he got his feet in the water, and so I'm happy we went to San Diego. But getting there was That's more amazing. than stressful, and I'll never get on a plane again after that.
1: We saw Mickey Mouse. Yes. And it was... Good.
2: Yeah, Evan was really into Disney at the time. And those Disney characters, he still likes Disney movies now, but for the Mickey Mouse Club, that was his wheelhouse at that time. So yeah, we got to go to Disney World or Disneyland.
1: That was our plan that was, I just wanted to do the breakfast. I just researched and found the breakfast that all those characters were going to be at. And that was our whole goal was just to do breakfast and then possibly not go to the park. Like we weren't even thinking about going to the park. We just wanted to see Mickey, and then we went back to the house and went back to the beach.
2: Basically, we drove two hours to get to Anaheim for Evan to sleep through breakfast, and then <laughs> drive two hours back.
0: That's okay. We got pictures, right? You got pictures. <laughs> and all the
1: nephews were there, and aunts and uncles. It was great. It really was. It was a good time.
0: That's a dad perspective right there. Drive two hours for a couple of pictures, and then we're yeah, back home. Okay, so I know that this week I put out a plea and a request for for anyone to ask questions that wanted to. And one of the questions, I'm super excited to have both of y'all here at the same time because one of the questions was about marriage. And having a child with special needs is hard on a marriage. So um, I don't know if y'all are up for the task of answering the question on how you guys make it work. Uh, why is your marriage surviving this? Because having a child with high medical complex needs um, is hard on a, on a relationship. And so I'm wondering if y'all might want to address that as a couple, since y'all are both on the
2: podcast today. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it is hard. It's, um, I mean, particularly for Evan, who can't leave the house and is always on oxygen and we have to have a nurse watching him we're not able to do a lot of the things that couples our age or couples with little kids are able to do. And so I think a lot of it is um, isolating and lonely that we're not able to just take Ryan to dinner with other families. I mean, we have to find somebody to watch Evan. And if we don't have a nurse to do it, we just can't go. One of us can't go. So we do a lot of I'll go out with my friends and then she'll stay home or she'll go out with her friends and I'll stay home. And very rarely do we both get to go out for a, a night out or anything. Like we haven't done a vacation together more than one day, like probably since the San Diego trip. Cause we just haven't done anyone to watch Evan for extended period of times. So it's hard, but we try to just stay positive and I don't know about anything particular that we do to make it work. It's just it is what it is. And
1: so instead of doing dinners because we don't have nursing past like what six seven o'clock, and we do rely on Hannah a lot. Um, She's been our rock for watching Evan for four year, four and a half years. And we do breakfast dates like this morning. Sam didn't go to work today, so. When we have a nurse this morning. So we left for like an hour and we went and took Ryan and we went and just sat and had breakfast, which now instead of date nights, it's usually breakfast time is our big thing. It's just to spend time in the morning and doing stuff like that. And another thing is we moved into a house with a pool and thoughts of we would use the pool as like our getaway release and we could take Evan into it. But I think what makes this work is like we never really, we're always on the same page with Evan and we had a conversation in the beginning was if somebody's not on the same page, we don't do it. Like it was very much, either we were both in or it never happened, like it doesn't happen. Hospital trips, we talk about it and if we usually end up going because somebody wants to go, so we, we go because it's always that what if we didn't do it or what if. The conversations have always been When it comes to Evan, very much. What are we looking at? How is this going to help Evan? How is this going to help us? And then we make the decision together. I think we do a really good job of listening to one another. Plus, I think, too, we are, we're on the same page of what we want for Evan. We want Evan to be healthy and happy. And it's over, it's quality over quantity. And just knowing that he's loved and taken
0: care of. But it is hard. Sam, you're not a soccer dad with Evan. So what are? tell me a little bit about some of the things that you miss um, doing with Evan.
2: I mean, pretty much everything. You know, since he was six months old, he's been on the decline of being able to go out and about. And um, I've got, I, my brother's got three kids and three boys. And then Lauren's sister has a little boy and uh, a girl. And so it's no fault of theirs, obviously, but it's hard watching other families grow up and experience things when Evan will never be able to walk or talk or he's never said mom or dad. And so I think that's the hardest part is we've been parents for almost six years and no one's called us mom or dad yet. And so it's little things like that you don't really think about that yeah, I would love to take him to a t-ball game or a soccer game, but also would just want him to sit up and say hi or be able to hold him without oxygens and cords and alarms beeping. And so anything you thought about, you know, just a normal dad would do, I probably haven't done any of it. And so Ryan is just now five months old. And so he's already surpassing milestones that Evan never hit, and we're finding out pretty quickly, like, I have no idea how to be a, a dad to a five- or six-month-old. I'm a dad, basically, to a, I mean, I don't want to call him a newborn, but he gets care of a newborn, basically, for five and a half years, and so I don't know what it's like to have a, a baby crawl across the room or roll over and get into things, and so... Pretty much everything's a new experience with Ryan, and it's it's exciting and it's fun to do it with him. But at the same time, I mean, I always think about or wish that Evan was able to do those things. And like this last week, some of Lauren's or one of Warren's friends from high school uh, brought her kids in from Dallas. She has three little girls that she brought and they played around and they were super nice to Evan and brought him toys and he loved it and he smiled every time they asked him a question or brought him a toy and he just lit up when he was engaged with them but at the same time it was pretty hard to see that you think that he's there and he wants to be able to do those things and said he has to just lay there and wait for them to come to him. and he's not able to, to partake in all the activities and get in the pool so easily and Or just play with dinosaurs or dolls or whatever they had. Play-Doh. Can't play with Play-Doh by himself. I mean, he holds it and he kind of smashes it around, but he doesn't build things with Play-Doh or anything like a normal, you know, three, four, five, six-year-old would do. Uh,
0: How has adding Ryan to the mix uh, changed the dynamics? So now you're a dad of, of two boys. And so I know Lauren was telling us that the other day, I guess one of your bucket list things was kicking a ball. And so y'all sat with both of them and y'all were able to tr- kind of make that happen between the two boys. And so um, how has how has adding Ryan to uh, your family, becoming that party of four, how has that changed the dynamic in your relationship with, um, with even Evan?
2: It's definitely changed. We tried to bring Ryan over to Evan like as much as possible. I mean, it's hard to set him on top of, of Evan and let them kind of play with each other. But they, we do lay them down next to each other and they engage and Evan loves being a big brother and he thinks it's hilarious when Ryan is just screaming his head off. But I think they are acknowledging that they're brothers and it's kind of cool to see that Evan smiles like when you lay Ryan next to him and Ryan's kind of learning, I mean, even at his young age, of, that Evan gets certain attention and there's oxygen and there's suction machines and alarms beeping and somehow he kind of quiets down when all those alarms are going off he'll scream his head off while you're just sitting next to him but not paying attention to him but when you like get up to help Evan he kind of like acknowledges that his brother is getting held or or helped at that point and he somehow knows to, to quiet down and so it's fun seeing them kind of like react to each other, and and kind of become friends and stuff. Obviously, it's hard to say that they're friends when Evans five and Ryan's five months, but but they know that they they see each other every day, and so it's it's kind of neat having two boys now. It's totally different.
0: I love it, I, I, and and that's definitely something Lauren has talked about too. That you know, it's like Ryan knows, you know when he needs to not be fussy, you know, he's like, he's doing these things to get attention. And then all of a sudden Evan is, you know, needs his assistance or needs help. And, and it's like, okay, I acknowledge brothers, you know, getting the help he needs now. So I'll, I'll give my mom and dad a break. (laughs) Do you have a group of dads that you hang out with, or do you kind of feel like, you know what, when I go out with other guys, I just want to kind of walk away from that for a little bit, which what's kind of your perspective on that?
2: Um, I kind of like both options. I do like having my, I'm still best friends with a lot of friends from high school and even grade school. And so there are people that knew me before Evan. And so it's kind of nice to go out with them and go to dinner or have a beer or whatever. And I'm not necessarily Evan's dad and questions all revolve around Evan, how he's doing and what does it look like when he's gone, and, and hard questions that are, are good and worth talking about. But at the same time, you know, kind of just want to put all those things behind you and just go have fun and not really worry about what's going on at home. But I do think there's a lot of benefit to having a special needs dads community where, you know, I can text one of them and say, hey, with, your son's or daughter's seizure, did you see this or that? Or what, what's something that we could do? Or what did you know? Or how do you guys talk about this or handle this? So I think there's both sides to it. There's a lot to learn, obviously, from people that have gone through it and people that have also lost children before. We're not there yet, but you know, we go through daily grief even with Evan living. And so it's, it's nice to have... That community and those friends to to talk to about those things but I don't want to be a special needs dad all the time I kind of want to be a normal dad sometimes and so not really your question but one of the hardest things that people will always say oh how old is your son to say he's five and their immediate reaction oh that's such a great age and you immediately have to say uh oh, yeah I'm sure it is my son has special needs. He doesn't walk or talk or do these things, but it is a fun age for him, but it's not the same thing as what they're, they're suggesting as a fun age and the things that a typical five-year-old do. So it is nice to have like your special needs community because they understand that what we're going through is different than a, a normal family. And they relate to you so much more than what typical dad would do
0: right and even Lauren spoke to that I think in in her last podcast where you know moms would say oh six months oh that's so great or oh eight months oh that's so fun and and she's like yeah yeah do I tell them or do I
2: not (laughs) yeah I feel kind of bad sometimes like they'll say oh that's such a great age and I just say yeah it is and like I don't I mean I don't know what what's fun about a five-year-old because my five-year-old doesn't do it so and you don't always want to just like burden people with, oh, well, I have a special needs son. Five's not a fun age, and it is a fun age. I mean, Evan is fun, but sometimes yeah. you just kind of, oh uh, yeah, and you just move on and don't really engage in children talk.
1: And sometimes it can be really awkward because like you do want to share Evan, so or I do. So I'll say. I things. do,
2: but sometimes you don't want to like. I feel like it's it's, it's a, it's a it's lot heavy. to like dump on somebody. It's very like, heavy oh yeah, I've got a terminally ill child who has special needs. This was a fun elevator ride.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But see, the thing is too, I think with kids that are parents that have special needs, like we met with a family, Evan was real young. Our pediatrician put us in uh, contact with them and they have an older child who lives at the Children's Center and we had like Christmas or Thanksgiving. So their oldest daughter would help with Evan because she knows the special needs world because of our brother, and we, they were sweet enough to invite us over for some type of holiday, Thanksgiving, and we were there, and their daughter took Evan to another room, and, like, they were playing, and we were having a conversation, and it felt so easy, because they got it, and I remember getting in the car, and Sam was, like, that was the first time I ever had a conversation where it just, like, it felt normal, like, it felt like we, what we were going through was, like, a normal thing." Where before it would be like like how Sam would say, you don't know when to bring it up, you don't know how to say it, or sometimes you just drop it. So Sam and I have big dreams about moving to the Caribbean.
2: We watch a lot of Caribbean life and dream about moving to the Caribbean. And there's Lauren's family; uh, her mom grew up on Saint Croix, and so every time we see a Saint Croix episode, we always talk about moving to Saint Croix. And it's the same realtor on the show every time. Is so wife and husband own their own realtor company. So I signed up to get their daily listings of houses and condos just, just, for, fun, just, just for fun, just to just look at it. Look. But their like salesperson called on Monday morning and was like, you could tell he was kind of like a younger guy, like about to give me the whole sales pitch of why I should use their realtor company. And he's gonna hook me up with the best house and all this stuff in St. Croix but one of the questions when I filled out their page listing it says like when do you think you'll move to St. Croix it's one to three months three to six months six to 12 months or 12 plus months I guess so I didn't know what to put so I just put six to 12 months and our thing was like we're gonna move to St. Croix like after Evan just as our getaway rather it's for six months or six years, whatever, we're going to move to an island post Evan, And so I put six to 12 months. So this guy calls, and he's giving me his whole, like, spiel. And he's like, I see you put six to 12 months as your time frame to buy. Like, is that still an accurate time frame? And I was like, yeah, I I don't know. To be honest, like, my son's terminal at home, and this is our our post-child, like, escape. And his whole demeanor and attitude completely changed. It got real quiet for a little bit. And he was just like, Oh. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm so sorry. I was like, Yes, yeah, one. And he's like, So six to twelve months. And I was like, Yeah, maybe I don't know. <laughs> and he was like, Oh, I'll just check back with you and just hung up and I was like okay <laughs> I, was like, I was like so I came home and told Lauren I was like this guy was real excited that I was going to buy a house from him in St. Croix he was full blown going to give me the whole pitch and I told him about Evan and he just was like oh okay and I had no idea what to say.
1: So this is this is like because you're asking like about our marriage and stuff that's one of our I would say we don't get to go out a lot so like we do watch like reality tv as in like places we can go see and places where we can go and one of them happens to be the caribbean and that's why like it was for fun for sam to start looking this up it's not like we're gonna do it immediately or like that's just you we went from evan 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 today like in the moment during the hospital stays it was like sam would take off work we'd spend all this time in the hospital and I remember, intensivist one time sat us down and said, "You need to learn how to live life and do Evan. Like you guys are only focusing on Evan. Like your whole lives are just revolved around him." And um, and I kept thinking, like, well, yeah, he's at that point was maybe one and a half, two. Like, I think as a mom, when you have a one and a half year old, your life does revolve around your child. And he just kept saying, "This is going to get harder and harder and harder. You guys need to learn how to." Separate yourselves and like have a life with Evan and then still live your own life. And it took us a while to understand what that meant and like actually fully start doing that, like start going on trips and doing all these things. And then Evan got harder with his diagnosis. Um, But that was that us watching that show is our escape too of like, I mean, we've bought and sold what five houses since we've been married like we move a lot and we've been married 8 years but we like moving isn't anything like new to us like we do it quite often we've moved twice with Evan and last house i said we weren't going to move till Evan moved till we don't have Evan anymore and we ended up moving into this house last year so like moving's not a big deal to us it's a little harder when you have a special needs child you got to figure out um but. But I was saying that, so when you put this on the podcast, it's not like, oh, what? (laughs) Sam and Lauren are moving to the Caribbean? Yeah, I wish. But right now, it's just a dream that we have. So I think that kind of helps us, too, of not living the whole, like, we still have dreams. We still have futures, and still we are now planning, now having a child that's typical, um, and just seeing what that's like. Have you guys ever used respite care? So.
2: Yes, we um, we try to do, they ask you to do at least a one-month respite stay, and they do a full kind of like workup. They have PT and OT and speech pathologists and doctors of all different kinds come in and evaluate, and they kind of just... I think part of it's more for their own learning as much as ours, and they kind of just see what, you know, what Minky's is or what this type of child needs or wants, and they try to figure out things that they think could help us. So it's them learning, NSS learning, but they asked for a full month, and we felt like that was too long, and so Lauren talked them down, I think, to two weeks, and We went to Chicago with another couple, and then we went to a wedding in Mexico during that two-week period, and so we dropped him off, and I think we were here for three days maybe while he was at the Children's Center, and then we were leaving, and we got all of our friends and family and Hannah, our nurse, to kind of like schedule times at least once a day, if not two or three times a day to have, whether it was my dad or Hannah or my uncle or my brother, somebody to at least stop in. This was pre-COVID, obviously, where anyone could just go in there and say you're with Evan Klingenberg and they let you see him. So we try to make it to where Evan recognized people that he normally sees in his daily life and not just a strange nurse every day for two weeks. That felt like that would be too much for him to kind of like comprehend or like know where he was and so we scheduled all these people out at least once a day and Hannah I think she wasn't allowed to bill or to charge I mean we pay her as a nurse or insurance pays her, but she wasn't allowed to do it while he while she's not considered the primary nurse or primary care person and so she just volunteered on her own that she was going to spend three or four hours a day there just by his side you know just doing her homework or reading or whatever and so we're real fortunate that all everyone kind of chipped in so he was there for we went to Chicago for a weekend and then we flew from Chicago straight to Mexico for the wedding and we were supposed to be in Mexico I think for four days maybe five days and on the second day we got there Wednesday I think And on Thursday, they called and said they were moving him and putting him into the hospital, the PICU, the pediatric ICU, which means I guess he turned blue or his oxygen went below a certain number that they didn't feel comfortable with. But they were able to get him him to recover. and, And then I guess it happened again that night and they moved him from the Children's Center to the hospital. And so Hannah calls while we're in Mexico saying Evan's being moved to the ICU. She'll call us with more information. They get to the hospital. Hannah is just a nurse through a service. I mean, she's our friend now after four or five years, but to medical staff, she is a nobody. And they were like, we are not giving you information on Evan. We need a guardian. We need a parent. Like and She's trying to explain that they're in Mexico. And she is like quasi in charge, but we... about it ahead of time and we made my uncle the medical power of attorney for that week basically or that two week and so she called him and he was going up there and again they were like uh you're just an uncle we need a guardian and so he had to like show the paperwork that yes we signed him over as power of attorney for the week in case this did happen and luckily we we thought ahead to do that and so they finally let him go back there and see him and he was in the, the PICU, which he'd been numerous times before that, and he was perfectly fine. And yeah, he they, was, they,
1: his uncle said the moment that they pushed him through the doors of the PICU, his whole demeanor changed. He, was, he smiled, he perked up, he was...
2: Luckily, I mean, not luckily, bad word, but we're very familiar with the PICU. We know all the nurses and all the doctors. And so they all knew who Evan was. They'd all seen Evan multiple times. And... They, I think we actually talked to the intensivist and or one of the nurses and like, no, Evans fine. Like he's got no problems. They have no idea why the Children's Center shipped him over here. Like they are basically like, enjoy your time in Mexico. Like we'll watch him without you guys. He's doing fine. <laughs> but, most,
1: most expensive babysitter we've ever
2: had. <laughs> but uh, we still moved our flight. We were supposed to leave Sunday or Monday. And we stayed for the wedding. So we stayed an extra day to see the wedding. And we left the next morning. Just, I mean, he was, and we got home and he was fine. There was, it was typical Evan, but felt bad. You know, like being on vacation in Mexico, all your sons in in the ICU, it just is a mental thing. And so we did move our flights and come home, but. I
1: think what happened was an airway issue and they just didn't.
2: We lasted eight days instead of a month.
1: Evan is very social and for him to be there I think he just but it is like we've known a lot of people have used for the full month for respite for summertime so they could go to like their family can go to the beach if their child can't make it down there and
2: but he was there we were in town and he was there for at least two or three days with us there uh going by every day make sure they knew what they were doing we were comfortable with it and everything was great when we left and for whatever reason he didn't like it that we had left him alone he quickly realized that we weren't coming to visit him and he was going to get himself someplace else
1: but each time we would walk in the one thing i really did like is each time we'd walk in somebody would be rocking evan like a volunteer came in and would just scoop him up and just rock them we had friends on our special needs area they came in they went and saw evan they sent pictures we facetimed him while we were gone Like he watched his shows just like he normally does. We brought everything that he normally uses and still wasn't enough. (laughs) He knew something was up.
0: Yeah, and you know, working with the families that I work with, I know that 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 emotional piece of I'm gonna take my kid and drop them off there and then they feel like, what if my child feels like they're being abandoned, you know, because cognitively they understand that mom and dad are no longer there. Um, and so I know for a lot of families, that's something they can't do. They they just can't because it, it hurts their heart too much to feel like yeah. they would do that with your child. So is that something you guys kind of reciprocate as far as think about or, or you're like, Oh no, take full advantage, please do.
1: I think it's kind of both. Uh, our experience was different, hopefully from many others, um, Evan is just, he's very positional, very airway, um, and yeah, if you don't know, and Evan plays a lot of tricks, like, he's a very big shenanigan type of kid, like, everything will be fine, and he'll drop his oxygen, just because he wants the attention, so, which a lot of kids do, but I say, like, yeah, if you want to do a family trip, and you want somebody that you can rely on, I mean, those are nurses that are there every day, they see kids, all the time that have seizures and breathing and or breathing um problems and traits, like they understand how to do it. And it's and I have to say, if you can get a break, do it. Even if it's for four or eight days, like it was still enough for Sam and I to feel good enough to leave. because um, if if we thought he was in trouble, we never would have left. If we didn't think that he was safe, that that trip never would have, I never would have gotten on the plane. So last night I left um, the house to go see a friend and Sam was left with the boys and normally like Evan's usually pretty good and I think because they both knew that mom wasn't here they both just, they both gave dad run for their money. Sam sent me a text message Ooh. like, He's
0: going to cry it out in the crib. Tell us what it's like being dad as far as staying home with both of them. Uh, You kind of go from that, you know, man-to-man defense versus zone defense and trying to manage it all. And So, so yeah, tell us a little bit about that journey last
2: night. (laughs) It was not fun. It was very stressful. I've done it a couple times where I have them by myself, and usually they're pretty good. But for whatever reason, last night, Evan – Luckily, his oxygen was doing fine, but he was coughing a ton, and when he coughs, he, like, spits up everywhere, and you have to just give him a lot of attention. And Ryan also wanted a lot of attention last night. He was just screaming his head off, and so there was a lot of just letting Evan, or letting Ryan scream and scream and scream while I attended to Evan. And uh, it was not fun. It was very stressful. Yeah. Finally, I just put him to bed and said, you're just going to scream it out in here. And he finally just fell asleep, screamed it out for, like, 10 minutes. Then it was fine after
1: that. Yeah, but it, it is definitely different. Like, having, I mean, we know that Ryan, for the most part that we know, is typical. I mean, he doesn't have the same disorder as Evan. And um, so, like, for him to be on the ground screaming, I'm like, you're breathing, you're fine. Like <laughs> It's different. It's different now having a child who went, like, Evan, who, when he does cough, you have to suction him, like, Cause that can cause issues. Like you have to have eyes on him to make sure. But with Ryan, it's like you're, I, I know as long as he's crying and he's making noise, like he's, he's fine. It's when he's quiet. I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) What are you getting into? It's definitely, it definitely is. It's the journey is a lot. It's different, but it's a lot more. It's fun.
0: I promise our conversation doesn't end there. They go on to tell us much, much more together and I will have that on our very next podcast. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of A Copper Penny for your thoughts. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in healthcare of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.